Welcome to Israel. It's midnight from Jerusalem, our weekly virtual worship service and a collaboration between the Congregation of the Word and loveisrael.org. We're going to begin with a call to worship just recently here in Israel at our study center. We just completed our study of the book of Romans. And I want you to take out your Bible and look with me to that epistle, Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 16, and the very last verse, verse 27. Romans 16, the very last verse, verse 27, where it says, Le Elohim he chacham levado, lo hakavod. Amen. Which means to God, the only wise one. To him is the glory in Yeshua, the Messiah forever. Amen. Now, this just doesn't speak of the fact that all wisdom originates with God but we see a connection between wisdom and the glory of God. It speaks in this verse that God alone is wise, and to him is glory. It is because the wisdom of God, when we receive it by faith, and when we apply it to our life, that wisdom is going to produce glory. Wisdom is taking biblical truth and applying it properly to our life, to our situation, being able to discern biblical truth and to utilize it in the right time, in the right way, in the right situation. And the outcome of this expression of wisdom is the glory of God. But notice what it says at the end of this. Yes, to him be the glory but then it continues, in Yeshua, the Messiah. Meaning that the only way that we're going to have access to this wisdom, and the only way that we'll utilize that wisdom properly, that God will be glorified, is if we are in this covenantal relationship with Messiah Yeshua. In other words, we're only going to be able to worship God, whether it is in speech, or whether it's indeed, if Messiah is the Lord of our life. So a great way to end this book of Romans, reminding us that wisdom originates from God. It's the utilization of wisdom that produces God's glory. And this can only be done in Messiah Yeshua. So frequently, Paul speaks about this term being in Messiah, being someone having submitted to this new covenant relationship with God, and it's only possible through Messiah Yeshua. Well, now let's turn to another place in the Bible, to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 6, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to read beginning in verse 4, the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. 
ברוך שם כבוד מלכותו לעולם ועד. ויהבת את אדוני אלוהיך בכל לבבך ובכל נפשך ובכל מאודיך. והיו הדברים האלה אשר ענוקי מצפך היום על לבביך. ושנענתם לבניך ודיברתם בם בשבתך, בבטך, ובלקתך, ודרק, ושקבך, וקומך. וקשרתם לאות על ידיך, והיו לתותפות בין עניך, וכתבתם על מזוזות ביתך, ובשריך. And now let's translate that into English. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your very essence. These things which I command you today upon your heart, meaning they should be upon our hearts, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and It's implied your daughters. You shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign, this word ot, meaning when we apply them to our life, God will do mighty things. You shall bind them for a sign upon your arms, and they shall be frontlets, totefot. Today we speak about tefillin or phylacteries between your eyes, and you shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Well, at now let us go before our Lord in a time of prayer. Father God, we, we come before you knowing indeed that you and you alone are only wise. And Father, we pray that, that we might be a recipient of your wisdom, that we might apply it properly in our life, in the situations that we encounter. Because God, we want you to be glorified. We want to be instruments that manifest your glory to others, that they might know that there is a God in Israel, the creator of heavens and earth, who rules, but who is gracious and merciful and forgiving. Lord, we, we think at this time of the great mercy that you have extended to us, the forgiveness of sins, the life everlasting through Messiah Yeshua, and his death upon that tree, his shedding of his blood, and we exalt you and praise you and thank you that you are God that does indeed redeem sinners. Lord, we thank you that while we were lost in our sins and in darkness, that you enlighten us through your gospel. We praise you for the revelation of the Bible, for scriptural truth. Lord, we know that your word is mighty and powerful, that it penetrates to the very essence of our being and it brings about change. Lord, we pray for change, a godly change, a righteous change in our life, that we might be people that do indeed submit to your truth, that manifest 
your presence and power and provision in our life, that we might be enlightened with your perspective so that we can live that praiseworthy life. And Lord, we pray this evening for those who are hurting, those who are in difficult situations, those who are are struggling in their faith, struggling in life. Lord, we pray for your assistance, your help, your power to be upon them. We pray for those who have not come to faith, that they would come to faith and receive your provision, would know the forgiveness that you offer and the power that brings about that change of of regeneration. Lord, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for becoming a new creation in Messiah Yeshua. We thank you for that redemption that comes through his blood. And Father, we, we exalt you. We lift up your holy name, thanking you for our salvation. Lord, we pray for, for restoration in the fullest sense. We pray for healing, healing of sickness and disease, healing of, of any, any wrong thinking, depression, those individuals that, that are struggling with, with a, a discouragement that is paralyzing them from moving forward. We pray for, for healing. We pray for change. We pray for your spirit the fruit of your spirit, to be, to be manifested in their life. For we know that when we submit to your truth, that you go to work, you edify, you build up, you strengthen, you enlighten, and you do wonderful things for your people. So, Father, we want to be recipients of your workmanship, your edification in our life. We pray that you might build us up according to your will, that we would truly be vessels shaped and formed for your purposes. Lord God, we give you glory, thanksgiving, and praise. We pray for our nations. We pray for the leaders of our nations. We pray for for the police. We pray for the military. Lord, we pray for for families as well, that families would, would walk according to your truth, that we would see a change as we look we see great immorality. We see that which is evil being accepted and, and praised. And Lord, we know that, that dark times are, are here and it's only going to get worse. So Father, we know that your love will cause us to persevere, endure, and be a, a light in the midst of this darkness. So Father, we pray that you would use us that you would transform us, that you would empower us and shape us into individuals that truly are are valuable for your purposes and your will. God, all these things we pray in the blessed name of our Messiah, Yeshua. Amen. We need to be people that see God's hand in every situation. Now, that does not mean that he is the cause of everything. There is disobedience. There is sinfulness. There is an enemy. And these individuals who belong to the enemy, also the influence of demonic presence, unclean spirits, all of these things can bring about situations 
that are not God's will, that are not pleasing to him, not that he wants these things. But this is not in any way attack his sovereignty. God has allowed for disobedience in the world that he has created because this disobedience is an outcome of choice. And choice is necessary for there to be submissiveness. Choice is necessary for love. Choice is necessary for worship. So God has created each individual with the ability to choose. We are not in bondage to some predetermined destiny. That is not what the scripture speaks of. But we need to be people that, that look to God's revelation, see his hand in the midst of things, and submit to that hand of God in order to execute justice, in order to be a, a force for that which is pleasing to him. Take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Esther in chapter 2. Now, this chapter opens up with a frequent statement. We see it in many different places, both in the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant. We see it in the writings of, of the Gospels, in the narratives of the historical books, and throughout prophecy. How does chapter 2 begin? Well, look there with me. Chapter 2 of the book of Esther, and verse 1 where it says, Achar hadivrim ha'ele, after these things. Now, the purpose of this expression, which is frequent in the Bible, is to cause the reader to remember what has just been revealed. And that is this incident between Queen Vashti, when she refused to obey the king, her husband, when she did not come before the men to manifest her, her beauty as King Ahasuerus demanded. And this act of defiance, perhaps defiance for a righteous reason, because of modesty, because of that which is proper, but nevertheless, we have saw last week that Vashti, she was acted against. How? Well, when we look at the scripture, we see going back to chapter 1 and verse 19, that she was no longer allowed to come before the king, King Ahasuerus. And her portion of the kingdom would be given by the king to another, one who was more worthy than her, better than her, is the implication of this text. So Vashti was removed from her position as queen, removed from any, any vested interest that she had in the royal kingdom. She was removed. Many scholars differ in their opinion. Was she put to death? Was she simply banished? But everything was removed from her. And she would not have access, if she was still alive, to the kingdom, to the king, or any benefits 
from this empire. She was out of the picture. And all of this came about because she defied the king's order. But remember, it was her defiance, as we're going to see today, that brought Queen Esther into the palace and, and caused her to be in place for a specific purpose. God's hand is in this event. Even though we're going to see that things begin to look, and we'll see this in the upcoming weeks, very disastrous for the Jewish people. But God is at work previous, before any of these bad things that are going to be heralded against the Jewish people. Once more, verse 1. After these things, when the anger of the king subsided, the king Ahasuerus, after his anger subsided, it says, he remembered Vashti. He thought about her. This implies he missed her. And he also remembered what she had done and also what was decreed against her. And many of the scholars believe that he had regret, remorse. He remembered her. And usually, when the word remembrance is in the scripture, it is for a, a positive outcome. Oftentimes, when God remembers, he remembers the covenant and he responds to restore. So here we are led to believe that the king, Ahasuerus, he remembers, he misses her. He remembers, and perhaps he wants her restored, but he also knows what was decreed against her and what she had done. And perhaps he is not of the mindset that what was decreed against her was proper. So because of that, look now to verse 2. Verse 2 focuses on these young servants that are constantly in the king's presence in order to uh, uh, act in regard to his needs. They are supposed to be very, very perceptive, paying attention to the king. And when he wants something, needs something, they are supposed to respond quickly. And therefore, we read in verse 2, the young men of the king, those who served him, his servants, they said, let there be sought for the king young women. And this word narot means just that, very young women who are virgins, who are beautiful in appearance. This is their counsel. Now, from what they said, and remember, they were supposed to be individuals who were very perceptive of the king's wants, needs, desires, and would respond quickly. And they saw that he was thinking about Vashti, and based upon their recommendation, he misses her. 
He wants another queen. And therefore, their suggestion is, let's bring, let's gather up all these young virgins who are beautiful in appearance and let them, let them be brought before the king so that a new queen can be chosen. Verse 3, and the king commanded that there would be officers or captains. This word is related to one who carries out a command, who has authority, who has the necessary resources to put into practice to carry out the king's command. And these uh, captains, these officials, they would be placed over every one of the king's provenances in his empire, in his kingdom, in order that they would gather all the young virgin who, was, who were beautiful in appearance, that they would be gathered to Shushan, the capital, unto the house of the women. There was similarly a place, a location, a type of dormitory, we might say, where there was women that were there for the king. And they were under the authority, it says, to the hand of a man by the name of Hege, who was a eunuch of the king, who would guard, he was responsible, he was the keeper of the women. And that would be given, and the last word here is a word of ointments, those things that are rubbed on the body, those type of materials for health care, beauty creams and such, so that they would be brought into this place, the house of the women, and that they would be cared for under the authority of this man, this one who is called Hege. Verse 4. Now we see what the plan is. And the young woman who is, and the word is good. Good oftentimes has to do with the will. So the woman who was good, according to the will of the king, it says, according to the eyes of the king, that she would rule in place of Vashti. So there's no question we see that there is a methodology, a plan, in order to find a replacement for Vashti. And again, the connection between what's being done and these young men being perceptive of the king, remembering that, that he was thinking about Vashti, shows that he missed her. He was thinking about what he did, in regard to what she did, and the implication is, he missed her, and therefore, because the law that was given, we talked about this last week, there was a law according to the edicts of the Medes and the Persians, which said once a decree was set, it could not be changed, it could not be altered. Therefore, he knew, and they knew, Vashti, could never be in the king's presence. Vashti could not assume her position again. 
So now a replacement for Vashti, one who was good, proper, desirable in the king's eyes, she would be selected. Verse 4. So the young woman who was good in the eyes of the king, she would rule instead of Vashti. And this thing which was presented was good in the eyes of the king. And therefore, thus, it was done. So now we have a plan for a replacement. For one that they said would be better than Vashti. Look now to verse 5. Now, if you were looking at a scroll of this, this scroll of Esther, you would see, and some Bibles point this out, at least Hebrew Bibles, there is a space. Instead of the scripture being written in the normal way, there is a space between the end of verse 4 and the beginning of verse 5. And these spaces are deemed by scribal law. They're not by chance. It's not a personal decision, but it was an edict of the scribes. And this space shows emphasis. It shows that what is now going to be written down, revealed, is of great significance. Now, one of the interpretations, and I emphasize it's an interpretation, and that is how, in one sense, all of these acts that has happened, remember, chapter 2 begins, Ahar hadivarim ha'ele, after these things. So in one sense, God is going to move. He is going to bring about something according to his will. And this is emphasized. And even though man may think that this is disconnected from what has just happened, God is revealing to us that he's at work. And how is he at work? We'll look at verse 5. It says, Ish Yehudi, a Jewish man was in Shushan, the capital. His name was Mordecai. He was the son of Yair, the son of Shim'i, the son of Kish. And then it says, Ish Yemeni. Now, most would say Ish Yemeni simply means that he is from the tribe of Benjamin. But although this is true, there could be another reason why it was written in this unique form. Not Ben Yemeni, but Ish Yemeni. And the word Yemin means right, and it can be right in the sense of integrity. That he is a person of great integrity. And when we speak of integrity, we're talking about one who has fidelity to the Scripture. It is integrity rooted in the revelation of God. Secondly, we're told that he is a Jewish man. Now, at this time, what we are, are understanding is that the term a Jewish man 
can mean one from the southern tribe, the tribe of Judah, but at this time it would seem to be the case that regardless of what tribe you're from, what empire, the northern one or the southern one, Israel or Judah, this term Yehudi, Jew, began to be attached to all the children of Israel. And this term Yehudi, it has two important consequences. If we look at that word in its origin, for the tribe of Judah, for example, it speaks of giving thanksgiving, giving praise to God. And in an overwhelming sense, this is what the people of God, regardless of what tribe, were all called to give thanks to God. We're all called to give praise to Him. And this giving thanks and this giving of praise is not just an oral activity. Just verbal words, but also it's going to be emphasized that one who truly is a praiser of God does so in word and deed, and it's the deeds, the acts, the works that are going to be emphasized. And we see this immediately in the life of this man. Now, we're given some historical information. Look now to verse 6. Speaking of Mordecai, and even though that name Mordecai is not of a Hebrew origin, we see the son of Yair, this is a Hebrew name, the son of Shimi, the son of Kish, all of this speaks of his background as a son of Yaakov, a descendant of the children of Israel, a Jewish individual. And we see in verse 6, that he was exiled from Jerusalem with the exile that was exiled with. And then we have the king of Judah, a man by the name, here it's Yehonia, which is Yehoiachin, a very wicked king. One that did not reflect any commitment to any sensitivity to the will of God, the instructions of God, the commandments of God. And therefore, Mordecai, with many, many others, they found themselves being carried away to Babylon. And now this one, after several generations perhaps, we see that he is no longer in Babylon, but he is in the capital of this new empire of the Medes and the Persians. The Babylonian rule, that empire, is no more. It has been taken over by the Medes and the Persians and Mordecai. We're going to see that he is an official in the king's administration. He is one who resides in Shushan, the capital. But he was taken initially by the exile of Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, verse 7. Now, I mentioned to you that Mordecai, we're going to see that he is an official, an important leader in this empire of Ahasuerus. 
But what is going to be said concerning him has nothing to do to his status from a public sense, his position as a leader, as an individual that has a high degree of, of status because of his position. What is going to be emphasized about him is seen in verse 7, where it says, Vayihi omen. And omen, in this usage, is a tutor. It is a trainer. Now, you probably remember in the book of Galatians, Paul uses this same term. He uses it in the Greek language, but it's for that tutor. That one who has authority over a young boy until that boy comes to the age of responsibility, of manhood. And, and this omen is supposed to be like a coach, a trainer, one that trains him, tutors him in, in truth. Now, in this case, for Mordecai, we see here all of verse, verse 7. It says, he became the, the tutor of Hadassah. Hadassah, another Hebrew name, but she's also known as Esther. And she is the, the daughter of his, his uncle. And we see here that, that there was not to her a father or mother. So she became an orphan, and it's because of this that Mordecai acted. We see that he became without any parents. She is a relative of his, and therefore he became one who trained her, tutored her, obviously, in the things of, of God. And we're told that this young woman, that she has a beautiful description. Yafat to'ar. Now, the term here is a little bit different than we see earlier on, where it's found when it speaks about this plan of bringing young virgins to the king. We have the word tovat mar'e, good in appearance. But here we have a different word, yafat. And this can mean beautiful, but this word yafe or yafa, depending upon if it's masculine or feminine, has a degree of appropriateness, that which is fitting. So this woman has a fitting description. Then it tells us that she is also and uses the same term that, that the young men, the servants of the king had, ve tovat mar'e, good in appearance. And then we're told, at the death of her father and her mother, we're told that Mordecai took her to himself for a daughter. Now, some of the rabbinical commentators they like to add things. They like to be very innovative. And innovativeness to the scriptures is not good. Because when it says, he took her for a daughter, Lebat, 
They say and point out, you know, if you add a yud in between the bait and the tav, it has house. Took her for a house, meaning that she became part of his household, meaning a wife. This is incorrect. It's incorrect because we already know something. We're told that the young women who are taken are bitulot. They are virgins. The implication here is that they've never been married. So the rabbinical view that, that Esther was the wife of Mordecai is without foundation. It adds to the text rather than taking it literally. So all this is telling us is because Esther had no father and mother when they died, that Mordecai took her to himself as a daughter. And we need to emphasize exactly what the text says. She became like a daughter to him. And because he is now like her father, what did he do? What we're told earlier on in verse 7, that he trained her, that he tutored her. He instilled truth into her the truth of Scripture. Verse verse 8. And it came about when was heard the word of the king and his law. What law? When was gathered up these young, many young girls to Shushan, to the capital, unto the authority, it literally says the hand, under the hand of Hegai. Also, we're told, look at the end of verse 8, Vatilakach Esther. Esther, she was taken to the house of the king and placed under the authority of Hegai, the keeper of the women. So now Esther, this one who was like a daughter to Mordecai, she, because of her beauty, because of her appropriateness, she had a good reputation. She was also taken up by these officials and taken to Shushan, to the house of the women under the authority of this one, and now his name is written somewhat different, Hegai. Not Haggai, but Haggai, who's the keeper of the woman. Verse 9. Speaking about Esther, this young woman, she was good in his eyes. Now, this word good has to do with purpose, has to do with will. And this man who had been a keeper of women, he was acquainted with the ways of women, and also knew the king what he would see as favorable, desirable, as good. But here we're told, and we need to deal with the text very simply, this young woman was, was seen as good in his eyes, in the eyes of Haggai. And she lifted up, this is word of capturing, taking possession, she lifted up 
And it's a very next important word is the word chesed. She lifted up grace before him. In other words, she and this word for, for chesed, grace, is very important. Because usually we have a different expression. Motze chen be enough. She found grace, and that means favor. But here we don't have the word chen for finding favor, for seeing as a very fair or favorable woman. This is the word chesed, meaning grace in, in a sense of unmerited favor, being supplied what was lacking. He saw her as something that was fulfilling what was missing. So he recognized her in a unique way. And because of that, vai vahel. Now, usually that word speaks of being startled. Suddenly, something takes place and it causes fear. But the word has in its base meaning being startled. Something happens quickly. It surprises you. And in this context, it can be understood for the word for hurrying doing something quickly. And therefore, he quickly, the ointments that we talked about, her ointments, and also her portion, what was given to every woman that was brought there. He quickly brought the, her ointments and her portions to her to give to her. And then we see something else, something that's quite surprising. It says, and seven young women. Now, this would be also young women who were under his authority. He gave, he, he appointed unto her that she had these seven young women that were appropriate, that were worthy servants of hers to give to her from the house of the king under the king's authority that he had. And notice something else. We have the word for changing. He changed her and her young women to a good place in the house of the women. So she, Esther, did nothing. She simply was there. She captured his attention. She demonstrated simply by her presence, grace, that she supplies what is lacking, that she is a solution. And therefore, he quickly, different than all the others, he hurriedly gave to her this ointment, all the portion that was given to all the women, he also gave to her. But in addition to this, like none of the others, he appointed seven fitting, seven appropriate, seven worthy young women to attend to her, to help her out. And then he took her and these seven women, one plus seven, eight, eight women all together. And he placed them in the best, in a good place within the, the, the house of the women. All of this was done she was treated uniquely differently. Why? Well, the answer is very simply. 
The cause of her being seen as gracious is the fact that Mordecai had trained her. And this training involved the truth of God, the word of God, the commandments of God, the revelation of God. This is what Mordecai emplaced within her, the word of God. And this had a, an outcome in her life. It was noticeable. It showed her to be different from the others. Now look at verse 10. Now, Mordecai, he was the authority over her life. And because Esther, she learned how to submit, not only did she submit to Mordecai, but she submitted to the instructions of this one who was over the, the place of the women. She was a submissive woman. And the submissiveness to authority positioned her exactly where God wanted her to be so that she could do great things. Realize this principle. It's true for women and it's true for men. Submissiveness to authority will position you where God wants you to be so that he might use you to do great things. Verse 10. Here's an example of her submissiveness. We read in verse 10, Esther did not tell, she would not reveal her people or her, her origin, her heritage. Why didn't she do that? Now, the implication is that, that each of these women who were brought into this location in the king's palace to the house of the women, this dormitory for these young women. They wanted to know about them, what people they belonged to. Remember, in this empire, there were 127 provenances, different countries, people of different languages, different cultures, different backgrounds. We learned from Hodu Lekush, from India to Ethiopia, people of great diversity in every sense. So they would want to know, what people are you from? What is your, your heritage? But she refused to reveal that information. Why didn't she do this? Ki Mordechai, Tziva Aleha, Mordecai commanded her that she would not tell. Now, why? He was a servant of God. In this sense, he was a mouthpiece, a type of prophet. Now, I realize that Mordecai is never biblically called a prophet, but he is a receiver of revelation from God. And God prepares us when we Take seriously God's word. That word and the spirit, the anointing that's on that word is going to prepare us for the future. The word of God and our are esteeming it, us receiving it, us demonstrating it is going to prepare us for the future.
When we ignore the word of God, we do not take it literally. We do not understand it properly. When we disrespect it, we think that it's, it's dependent upon culture and times and such, and that we are so enlightened that we can, can set it aside or reinterpret it based upon the times we're living in. That is a false teacher. That is one who's been deceived by the enemy. And that one is going to be unprepared for what God is going to bring about or simply what's going to happen. They're not going to be prepared, equipped for the future. But God, in his providence, he revealed to Mordecai to tell Esther, do not reveal your origin, your people, your heritage. And, and Esther submitted to this. And we're going to see, we're going to see, especially in two weeks, when we get into chapter three, how important this is in the book of Esther. Now look at verse 11. Verse 11 will be our last verse. And every day and day, that's what it says, Every day and day. So this means constantly. Not just every day, but throughout the day. That Mordecai, he would do something. Now, this is why it's so important to study and look at things in the original language. Now, don't make an inappropriate excuse. See, many people say, but I don't know the original language. I don't know. That's okay. There are numerous helps today that, that you can go to on your phone, on your tablet, at your computer, and many of them are free. And you can go and study the text word by word, and you should click on each word and find out its grammatical construction. You can take a few hours and learn enough from the grammar of the biblical languages in order that you can see here we have something that stands out. Now, it's the word for walking, but it's in a unique construction. It is in the hitpael, that, that very significant and somewhat rare verbal construction. And this construction tells us that Mordecai did not walk, but he paced. This word is the reflexive stem, this hitpalel. This construction means to go forward and backward. It's the reflexive uh, uh, verbal state. So it tells us that he was going back and forth, that he was constantly checking on the well-being of Esther. So look again at verse 11. Each and every day, Mordecai would, would pace back and forth, go back and forth before the courtyard of the house of the women. Now, this tells us something. The fact that he had access to this shows his important place, his prominent role within this empire. He was a trusted advisor, and therefore he had access 
to come into the palace, different places within the palace, not everywhere, as we'll see later on. But he would go there. And notice he was concerned about the well-being of Esther. What was going on? And this simply tells us that if you're really concerned about someone, you're going to want to prepare them. And, and Mordecai's love for Esther, a godly love as a father has for his daughter, caused him to invest in her, train her, and instruct her, place within her biblical truth, to give her insight of the word of God so that she could make wise decisions. And Esther was submissive. She did not reveal her, her heritage. And so in verse 11, each and every day, he would go back and forth before the courtyard of the house of the women. Why? Ladat et shalom Esther. To know the peace of Esther, her well-being, and what was being done with her. So he was exceedingly interested in Esther. From every aspect, her well-being, what was being done to her, so that he could, when necessary, he could get messages to her, instruction, because Apparently, Mordecai knew that God was in this situation. Now, we can, and I'm going to close with this, we can struggle in our mind. What is this? This, this Jewish young woman being brought in a type of harem before the king, participating in this? Well, God never criticizes this. And therefore, we should not. We should not have thoughts or entertain ideas that the Word of God does not deal with. This is going to take us in the wrong direction. What we have here is a man of God, Mordecai. And he is supervising. He is watching what is going on. And he knows God is in this moment, that God is going to use this. Does he know why? Not yet. But we're going to see in a few weeks why God is allowing this to happen, why he has positioned this woman, Hadassah or Esther, in this location. God is at work. And many times, God is at work before we even know he's at work. He understands what's going to happen. We don't. And God, if we are submissive and we are trained in the word of God, that submissiveness, that knowledge of the texts, the word of God, scriptural revelation, is going to prepare us to be used by him. And in being used by him, we might do things that have a much greater significance then we might think. So God is at work. The question is this. Do we want to participate with him? Mordecai did, and he trained Esther to also, to be used by God for his purpose, 
and his glory. That is my hope. This is why we do these studies. This is why our organizations exist. In order to get people to take seriously the word of God, to implement it in their life with faith, having received God's grace, in order that you might be used as an instrument of God's glory. Well, I'll close with that until next week. Shalom from Israel.